Welcome to the People of Packaging podcast, where we introduce people to the world of packaging and the people of packaging to the world. Here are your hosts, Adam Peek and Ted Tate. Wrapping up our final full-length People of Packaging episode for season three is Lisa Curtin from Brand Key. But before we really get into that, a huge, huge amount of appreciation to Doxlent. They have been an incredible sponsor for season three of the People of Packaging podcast. You've heard it all season long, uh, but you can go and get a free that's right, a free ebook courtesy of Doxlent at www.peopleofpackaging.com. And this ebook is, is all about better ways to manage your packaging specifications. Listen, we've all been down the path before. There are all of us in the packaging industry where there's specs all over the place. The wrong stuff gets run. These are costly errors. Some cases, six, seven figure errors. Stop it. Trust the folks over at Doxlent to help manage your packaging specifications. So you can go to www.peopleofpackaging.com. Also, for the month of the rest of March and the month of April, uh, here at the podcast, we're going to be donating $1 for every download we get uh, to Corey Connors, who is uh, a guest here on season three, to his charity, which is Candle Lighters for Children with Cancer. Uh, we love to support uh, good work, especially when it's being done by people in the packaging space. So please go get your free ebook and help out uh, some children in the community. Also, we are proud sponsors here of the Packaging Tips newsletter. Uh, so you can go, uh, that's, sorry, that's a daily, it's early in the morning when I'm recording this intro, guys. So give me a little bit of grace. Uh, you, can, you can go to www.packaging.tips, put in your email address, and you can get a daily email. It's really short, super easy to consume. It just has daily packaging information and packaging tips. So uh, go over there, get some information every day, get your free ebook. But more importantly, check out this interview, the final full-length interview. There'll be a bonus one coming out uh, also today. But the final full-length interview of the season with Lisa Curtin from Brand Key. All right, I'm here with Lisa Curtin. Lisa and I connected uh, through a, uh, I guess, somebody on LinkedIn that I had been, oh, it was with Becky. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I had connected up with Becky uh, Blixt and uh, her and I were chatting and she was over at Brand Key at the time. And she said, you got to have Lisa on your podcast. (laughs) She's great. And I was like, awesome. So we've had plenty of conversations since then. Uh, You know, Lisa, sometimes the podcast, the conversation you hear on a podcast is the first time I've ever talked to a person. Mm-hmm. And so that's super fascinating. Uh, this is not the first time that you and I have <laughs> have chatted or met, which is great. But uh, Lisa is the head of global strategy 
over at Brandkey. She has a fascinating background um, with, with some of the work and some of the things that she's done. Really big, amazing customers and the role that they play within the packaging space is critically important. And we're going to get into a lot of that stuff, I think. And uh, But before we do that, Lisa, there's probably people who don't know who you are. Sure. So why don't you do a quick introduction? It's going to be much better than anything I can do. <laughs> well, thank you. And it's wonderful to be here again with, with you today. Yeah. So um, my background, um, I am based in Charlotte now. I grew up in South Carolina, went to school at Clemson, studied computer science, um, moved to Minnesota about four years after I graduated. And uh, my parents had uh, relocated here and or relocated in Minnesota. And so I went up for a visit and I just fell in love with it. I fell in love with it because of the um, diverse business climate and um, and especially, you know, this was this was a long time ago. This was about 30 years ago. So, you know, women in the South were uh, were not uh, put up on a high business pedestal. We were put up on beauty pedestals, you know, wow. um, but it was uh, so it was a very different feeling, very different climate. And I felt like I belonged there. And so uh, it was also very early in my career. I started my career in training and development. Uh, I moved from training and development into business development. And that was where I really found my passion in working with uh, small startups, emerging, fast-growing companies, and really helping them align their channels, uh, uh, attract new channels uh, into their businesses, uh, and really centered. Everything in my career is centered around growth and innovation. And so uh, from, uh, from business development career, uh, a side note, my husband and I were married in Ireland and we built a home there. And so we were looking for ways to be able to spend more time there. So I started a company in Dublin. And uh, so uh, that company was focused in on digital asset management and uh, it was a software as a subscription model. So this was at the very beginnings of digital asset management and the very beginning of the SaaS model. So hmm. very Wait, I, hang on. I feel like I missed, I missed a, uh, are you, from, do you, do you watch the show Seinfeld at all? Yeah. Okay. So there's a, I forget what it, but they're like, <laughs> did you just yada, yada, yada something? So you went from, <laughs> it was kind of like, okay, so you were in, you were in, you're in South. Minnesota. Yeah. Where you were in the South and you were in Minnesota. Yeah. Yeah. And then you said, side note, I started a business in Dublin, Ireland. So, <laughs> uh, so, and, and I, I, I love, and when, and so what, what was that like to go from the South to Minnesota? Did you meet your husband in Minnesota? And then you just were like, you know what? We really love you too. And we're moving to Ireland. Like, how did that happen? <laughs> Oh, the details. Okay. Well, it doesn't have to be a lot of details, just something right. other than like, I got married and started a business in Dublin, Ireland. So, so we did meet in Minnesota. I had only been there for, um, for about a year and, uh, it was a blind date. Uh, and, uh, 
his, um, I would say it wasn't love at first sight. We liked each other, but, um, uh, and this is a good example of some of the things I found in Minnesota after, after our um, meetup, he didn't walk me to my car. So it was kind of like we went, got to the door and it was okay, see you later, you know, thanks, <laughs> great time. And, um, and, you know, in the South, we're so particular about those little things, you know, mm -hmm. opening the door at that time anyway. So, uh, so he didn't want me to my car. So I thought, man, this isn't going to work. You know, he, he just doesn't have those little, doesn't have those nice little Southern. He's not, a, he's not a Southern gentleman. <laughs> he's a, exactly. He's a Vikings fan or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, so so anyway, so we eventually did continue to date. Obviously, and, you get you date, yeah. you get married yeah, in Minnesota, exactly. right? No, we got married in Ireland. Oh, you got married in Ireland. Yeah. Okay, that's where that's what it was. So yeah. you went over to Ireland just to get married, and then you were like, Right. We need to yeah. stay. And so you stuck around. Um, actually I commuted. So we um we were married in Ireland from Minnesota. Holy so cow. We, um, uh, when we built, when we built the home, that's when I started the business over there. And when I started the business, I started, um, spending about two weeks every couple of months, at least two to three weeks. So, um, but when I was back in Minnesota, I operated on Ireland time. So I was up at three o'clock in the morning. And yeah, yeah, it was and what year of, was this? This was in um, I started the business in 2003. And so um, and it was it was a crazy time for digital asset management. So the the media lab, the MIT media lab, they had opened up in Dublin. And so there was this huge focus um, among the government to really have people house their digital content in Ireland. So they're setting up all different kinds of programs. I also launched at that time, the Ireland Chamber of Commerce, the Minnesota chapter. So I had a lot of significant ties back, you know, to, to Minnesota, Minnesota between Ireland. And uh, Ireland was their, um, Ireland was Minnesota's second largest trading um, partner in the world. Yeah, I would have never known that. <laughs> a lot of it had to do with medical devices. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and so and um, and some ag, but uh, but yeah, so so that was great. I got to spend a lot of time over there, and um, our children's school was very generous with their breaks. So um, during the December holiday break, they had about two and a half weeks in the spring, they had about two and a half weeks. And of course they had a nice long summer. So they would, they would come with me during those times. So when you kind of look at it, it just, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't spending a lot of time away from them, yeah. um, at any one period of time. So it all worked out extremely That's well. Great. Yeah. So what was the, um, what type of digital asset management? Cause I think that's a, I mean, just the thinking about the logistics of managing a business that's mm -hmm. based in Ireland, but mm -hmm. you're commuting from Minnesota in 2003 
which to me doesn't feel like that long ago until I go, oh my gosh, that's, that's 18 <laughs> years. My wife and I got married in 2003. That's 18 oh, years you? ago yeah. that, that that went down. And so, you know, we don't have it in, in 03, there wasn't, you know, Zoom and video calls and all of the, the technological advancements that we have today. So I can only imagine that that was a, a wonderfully exciting and stressful and invigorating time. How long were you at uh, this company? And then uh, after that, what type of digital asset management were you guys doing? So the digital asset management, um, so this was for five years um, yep. until 2008. And uh, so we were managing, um, if you think of digital assets in terms of really rich media, because at this time, um, uh, storage was incredibly expensive. Right, right. So the, uh, the, the same terabyte of data that housed assets for our clients uh, in the data center um, back then cost a minimum of 20,000 euro. So oh. it, it was incredibly expensive, right? Right. And so... I think I get a free terabyte of storage <laughs> from Apple or something. Right. And I'm just like, oh, yeah. cool. I have a terabyte of storage now. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So um, so it was a very different time that way as well. Just speaking of technology, you know, the reason why I was traveling so much is we didn't have these these tools. Right. And was building new relationships there. I had a ton of personal relationships there. Mm. Um, I just did. You know, our home was about 75 is about 75 miles south of Dublin. So we've got great relationships with the farmers and the shopkeepers, but uh, no, no business contact. So that was Got another it. reason why starting the Ireland Chamber of Commerce as well. Yeah. But, you know, we, we worked a lot with um, either inside creative teams or worked with agencies. And, um, you know, at the time, digital asset management was simply a library to store all of your rich media so that you could repurpose it. So if you think about an advertising agency, if they need that red convertible on catalog page 17 from 2002, they either go search through all their uh, CDs or, you know, or physical files. And so that's what digital asset management really began as. Um, and I worked with a guy from Minnesota who, do, who developed a digital asset management software. And these were also very expensive um, implementations. Usually the software and implementation was around $1.5 to $2 million. And so what he and I did, because Ireland is a small country, right? Um, there aren't, you know, the mega, mega businesses there like we have here. So we created um, a version that was a software as a service. So for monthly subscription price, and you didn't have to buy a server and you didn't have to buy the software um, or pay for the maintenance and upgrades, uh, we offered that. And so we were able to offer these smaller agencies the opportunity to really professionally organize yeah. and repurpose and share their assets. It yeah. sounds like you guys were way ahead of the curve in terms of <laughs> SaaS. I, mean, I live in Salt Lake City now, and it's there's a new SaaS company that starts here, and it's called Silicon Slopes, right? I mean, they're yeah. just yeah. there's so much money, and so I mean, 
Uh, a great example has been around here, Adobe, when they switched mm -hmm. their model from, hey, you got to buy the creative suite right. every year and you're forking yep. over cash to just, why don't you pay us a hundred bucks a month? And it's all of a sudden like, well, I can afford that right. as a person. And so whenever, yeah. all of a sudden all these people start doing it and the revenue skyrocket and mm -hmm. because you've made it more accessible. So that's great. Exactly. No, it's, it, it, it was, it was very, very new back then. Um, but it was also very hot, you know, very trending. Um, and uh, so, uh, so we built that. Unfortunately, when 2008, uh, in 2008, we were moving to, to Ireland. So we had decided, okay, we're, we're going all in on this. And um, we enrolled our children in schools over there. And the uh, truck was coming to get all of our things in Minnesota and actually put them in storage because someone was renting our house in minnesota and uh and we already had the irish house furnished so we didn't didn't need our stuff there right and uh a week before uh a week before the truck was coming um my husband had been in the uk he was trying to acquire a couple of businesses over there um and not too long before that i had been in dublin and things were really starting to soften up and people were getting, you know, you go into a, go to a restaurant in Dublin around lunchtime and every place is packed. You just can't, can't get in. And, um, and I was there and I would go and they would be half empty. You know, mm -hmm. it was just really, really odd. I mean, you could physically feel the the slowdown yeah. and that was in august of 08 okay and so unfortunately three days before the truck came we just called it all off oh, we just man. said you know we just can't can't risk it you know can't bring the kids over and you know and have this it just it wasn't going to work and it was a very painful decision the kids were very happy because they liked the idea of yeah, being in both their, places right they still get to see their friends in minnesota right. and kind of yep. go quasi exactly. vacation in ireland yep. yeah right. how many kids do you yeah. have lisa two we awesome. have a, a daughter katie and son patrick nice um yeah. well that's great and what was that company uh, did you end up selling the company in 08 then or? Yeah, we, um, well, we basically, we sold off, sold off the assets and closed it. You know, I okay. mean, that was, it was, that was, uh, how, that was how bad the economy yeah. had gotten. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was significant. So I actually, uh, um, back in Minnesota, I reconnected with a company that I had worked for before I had okay. I'd started this one and, um, and so started working with them again. It was a consulting company that had a very unique model. They would um, work with startups and literally um, a founder owner could walk into our doors with a business plan. And if we got excited about it, we would help him build out that team and cool. would help them attract investors. And instead of taking cash for our fees, we took equity. Yeah. into those organizations and so we were uh, an employee-owned organization so if our investment equity investment did well everyone shared in that that's cool um, yeah yeah so it was it was it was very good so uh 
So we did that um, uh, for several years. And then I moved to uh, the largest uh, organizational development and talent company uh, in the world, Corn Ferry. And they wanted uh, they wanted someone to really kind of open new markets, develop some new strategies, uh, different practices, and uh, and they had a huge office in Dublin. So <laughs> wasn't wasn't hard wasn't wasn't really hard to to say no to that. So I worked with them for about five years. Um, up until 2020 and made the decision that I was uh, probably not going to go to Dublin with with uh, that company. And so I joined Brandkey and I'm just loving being back in that fast growing emerging company yeah. environment. That's cool. And so uh, let's talk, let's land here for a second uh, with Brandkey because there's probably yeah. people going, uh, well, she went to Clemson, but she's not a packaging person. <laughs> this is a packaging podcast. Right. So why is yeah. she on the packaging podcast? And now we're, I think it's been awesome to hear about your background and your story and, yeah. you know, the places you've been and the, the, the ways in which you've been able to interact and experience, you know, hard times and hardships and failure mm-hmm. and recover. And, yep. and now you're here at brand Keys, So uh, why don't you just tell people kind of what brand key is and what yeah. its role is within the packaging world? Yeah, absolutely. So brand key works with uh, brand owners, printers, um, uh, vendors, packaging companies to uh, to bring more visibility into that supply chain that brings them all together. So if you can think about the packaging journey, Early on in the packaging journey, it typically starts with the brand owner and the brand owner goes through several, you know, of their key steps to design a product or design a brand. And then eventually a vendor hops on and eventually uh, a printer will hop on to to package that that product. And um, what what I liked about brand key was the fact that we bring everyone together from the beginning. So, and by, by doing that, by opening up those conversations and having that dialogue very early in that design process, you're eliminating so many problems that happen downstream. Yeah. And so, um, and as well as you're, you know, you're, you're able to design better products, better packaging, if everyone's talking, you know, from the start, because you know what's going to work by the time you get to uh, the end of the cycle, which is putting it on the shelf. Mm-hmm. And so um, it, I mentioned that growth and innovation piece. That's why I'm at Brand Key. Um, very innovative way that we've brought um, several different uh, pieces of technology into an ecosystem that makes it very easy for everyone to collaborate, share information, makes it very easy to look at performance and metrics. Um, You know, sustainability is something that uh, is a top of mind for for many organizations right now. Mm -hmm. And this ecosystem allows you to, you know, to track everyone within your supply chain 
um, uh, by brand, however you want to do it and be able to see, are they complying, you know, with our sustainability initiatives? Do we need to offer more education? What is it that we need to do? And this is all done real time and cloud-based. Wow. So I'm sure there's got to be people listening saying, you know, what, what's the, it, what, what's the difference between what you guys are doing? What's the innovative part? It's certainly needed. I don't think anybody would, would argue the fact that uh, we'll call it a single source of truth mm -hmm. for, and, and it's objective, you know, so yeah. are you doing this? Yes or no, but it's, but the thing that I've also liked through some of the demos has been, yeah, but what's a really acceptable. And that's where the collaboration piece came in because there mm -hmm. are some brands like I work for a packaging manufacturer mm -hmm. and right. there are some brands who are like, you know what, we're fine. If it helps with our pricing and our lead times, we're good with a Delta four on these colors. Plus or exactly. mine doesn't really matter. You know, we're back a house, uh, you know, restaurant stuff like, mm -hmm. yeah. And then there's other people who might be like, if it's not Coke red <laughs> within Absolutely. this type of tolerance. Right. And the problem is, I think that, and, and maybe, maybe I'm even saying what one of the competitive advantages are for you is, is that from a printing perspective, it's almost like everybody wants uh, the, if, if, if you have a, a, an asset management thing, it's like mm -hmm. you're, they, they will pigeonhole everybody into the, to the Coke red conversation. Exactly. And it's like, everybody has to hit all of this stuff right here yeah. on this level. Yeah. And the brands sign up for that. And they're like, okay, you know, we're, <laughs> we'll just let them take care yep. of it. And the printers are all like, this is terrible. They don't need, they don't need these tight tolerances. They don't exactly. need these tight color. And so it, it, it's been refreshing from my perspective mm -hmm. to say we're, we're, we love to be held to standards. Yeah. Let's together decide on what the standards are. Right. Um, well, you know, the, the founders and uh, the, uh, 75% of the the team at, at Brandkey founded a company in 2009 that really led the way for print quality management and standards. Right. And uh, that company was GMI. And so when they start, came together to start Brandkey, that they looked at that, they looked at that history and they looked at, you know, everything that had happened since then from a standards perspective and also mm -hmm. from a technology perspective. And that was how they built that ecosystem because um, the standards became, like you said, just inflexible for some. So right. what we wanted to do is really provide that objective view because a lot of companies have, you know, fantastic standards that they're conducting their businesses by. And, um, and we just let the brand owners know that, you know, these are the standards that they're, um, they're adapting and they're performing extremely well against those. And these standards work for you. And by getting those conversations going very early in the process, you'll understand more about why, why and how. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. And even, you know, bringing in the sustainability portion mm -hmm. for packaging is something that it's interesting that you guys all made the connection as a print quality management software mm -hmm. to sustainability. I would bring up the point often when, you know, if somebody was on, like you mentioned, GMI or whomever, mm -hmm. 
was, do you know the waste? Like if you could see the amount of waste that's generated mm -hmm. at the forefront of your run, the amount of rolls that just get tossed, right? Because you need these things. Maybe you would, uh, maybe, maybe there'd be a slightly different, maybe we could figure out what it's going to look like for you overall from a sustainability, from a cost and from a quality mm -hmm. print quality standpoint, we right. need all three of those. <clears throat> I don't like exactly. the whole, like, you know, you've got quality service, speed and sustainability, you know, pick two. I don't like that, you know, like just pick right. four, but let's yeah. all, let's all come to an idea of what it is. So how, how is it that brand key looks at sustainability? Mm -hmm. Well, within, once within again, yeah. Program. So once again, if you think about, if you think about all the standards that have been developed over the last 12 to 13 years uh, within, within printing, um, there are a lot of organizations that have been built around sustainability as well and certifications. So what we do is we, um, you know, we take a look at what those capabilities are of the organizations and what initiatives do they have in place? Um, are they FSC certified? Um, are they fair trade? Um, so we look at those certifications, we look at what that means, and we uh, take the data from some of those programs because they're having to supply specific information about how they are complying um, to those organizations, and that's how we're, we're able to uh, help them track it and help brand owners get visibility into it um, as well. That's cool. The other thing, the other thing that's also um, become a part of our conversations um, of, of late is not only sustainability, but diversity initiatives. So if you think about um, a large brand owner or retail organization, and they're asking their suppliers and their vendors to comply to certain, you know, uh, or to comply with their diversity initiatives corporately, um, we have the ability also to provide that data back to the company or the brand owner as well. And um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, well, I think you know from talking to me that uh, diversity is something that uh, I've always been extremely passionate about, diversity and inclusion. And yeah. So it's, uh, it's nice to see those, those types of initiatives show up on the, on the tool as well. And the thing about that is, and I, I probably said this before on the podcast, but it's not only a good idea altruistically to have to work with companies that are not just talking about diversity and inclusion, mm -hmm. but are actually diverse and actually inclusive. Yes. That's not just an altruist. It is altruistic and it is good mm -hmm. and it is, you know, a morally good idea. It also is tied into innovation, profitability, speed to market. I mean, all of these things when right. the, the, the evidence is overwhelming that when you get together the right team of, of diverse people together, all looking at problems and, and diversity can mean many different things mm -hmm. um, and inclusion can be many different things. But, but when, when you are no longer homogenous as a leadership team mm -hmm. and when you are working with companies that are not homogenous as leadership teams, the, the innovative ideas tend to flow. And so I've long time connected sustainability and diversity like you mm -hmm. did right. as, as joined at the hip because we won't innovate 
if we just keep the same people in the room constantly bringing in, yeah. you know, younger voices, mm -hmm. uh, voices from different countries, different ethnicities, different socio-political backgrounds, different education levels, different genders, different sexual orientations, all of it right. together, not just on committees, but as C-level, VP-level, exactly. you know, places. So how, so, uh, same question that I asked you about sustainability, but, mm -hmm. um, how does that get measured and tracked, number one? And number two, with the brands that you're talking to, I think it's important and you think it's important, but are there brands right now saying, we only want to work with printing and packaging companies that are, have, that are diverse and inclusive in their leadership team? Like, is that a request that you were getting today? Yes. Yes. As a matter of fact, I was, um, I was at the My Private Brands Diversity Summit Oh yeah. Uh, last week. And, um, and one of the, actually he was head of private brands for weight fern foods. And he said, we have a shortage of diverse suppliers in our pipeline. If you are out there, come to us. We mm -hmm. want you as part of, you know, part of our supplier, supplier base. So, um, so people are looking for it. They've made the business case has been made yeah. uh, for, you know, diversity in your supply chain. The other thing is, you know, uh, that was really resonated in the conference was the fact if you are a business and you are selling to consumers, look at your consumers. And if your supply chain in your company does not look like your consumer that you're selling to, for example, if your consumer is 40% um, is Hispanic and you have no Hispanic workers, no Spanish speaking workers, um, no one within your executive teams or throughout your organization if your exec, if your company isn't thirty five percent Hispanic, that's not a good thing. And yeah. then you drill that down into your supply chain. So, you know, a, a diverse supply chain is going to make products better. It's going to make that connection with your consumer um, better and um, healthier, more profitable. So, um, I think the. I think we're at a stage the business case has been made and people are starting to listen. And you're right. It is an altruistic um, thing. It should be this way. Um, but finally, we're at a point where um, enough people are making the connection that we're seeing some action on it. Yeah, definitely. I'll, I'll never forget. There was a time where I was in a room and there was a it was like a skincare line and I was just doing the packaging. And, mm -hmm. you know, I don't use skincare. I'm a bald white guy with a face, for, <laughs> a face for radio and podcast. And so they, they laid out, you know, and, and they had the skin tones that were printed mm -hmm. on all of the boxes and I'm just looking at it and, you know, they're getting ready to go to print. And this was all from the product that they had formulated. And finally somebody said, wait a second. And they realized it, they had only made skin tones for white women. Yeah. And they had a really diverse subsection of people and they started to look around the room and they were like, oh gosh, like that was the, there was the only people making the decisions on the yes. products. And until uh, a, a female of color 
mm-hmm. was brought into the conversation yeah. and she was like, uh, you don't have anything for me, you know? And right. then they went and talked to a Hispanic woman and then an Asian woman. It was like, oh man. So they actually had to delay the launch. So, you know, kudos to them mm-hmm. for, but can you imagine the, the, just the blowback that they would have gotten? Uh, it's incredible. So, yeah. so in, on a social platform just for, the, so yeah, I mean, it's like I said, like they would have lost a tremendous amount of money. It it's, it's hard to say, it kind of sucks to say like, well, money talks and profitability does talk, but it is true. It is a language yeah, of business. Right. And, and now, especially in the U S where, uh, you know, I think it's by 2050, we will be majority minority in mm-hmm. the U S yep. it's the most diverse millennials and Gen Z are the most diverse exactly. generations we've ever seen in our country's history. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, well, I have a great story from um, uh, and follow up two years about the skincare. I met the most amazing 10 year old I've ever met last week at the diversity summit. Her name's Bellen and uh, Bellen is uh, now in fifth grade, I believe. When she was in third grade, she was bothered by the fact that when it came time to draw or color, she was instructed to use the peach colored crayon for skin tone. Hmm. And, um, and she's uh, her, I was trying to think where her mom is, is from, but she's a very dark skin girl. And so it just, it, she didn't like that, the way that that made her feel. And so she started talking about it to other kids and they felt the same way. So at the age of basically eight years old, she developed a line of skin tone crayons and created a nonprofit and by the sale of these, these crayons, that's how um, she supports uh, diversity initiatives. She, um, she has also started a company. She models for Target and, uh, and some other uh, companies and doing video production, et cetera. She wants to be an astronaut. Um, she's in, excels in math and science. And, um, so we'll have to share a link to, oh, uh, yeah, no, you, I, I just wrote that down. Website. Yeah. That she's down. an amazing gotta, young woman. That's so cool. Yeah. Uh, well, Lisa, I told you that the time was going to fly and we're at about 35 minutes and it's okay. been fantastic. So, uh, I, I like to wrap up the conversations with a couple of things. One's a question mm-hmm. and then the last one is just how do people get in touch with you? So the first question is this, um, where everybody's involved in the packaging industry, every Mm -hmm. single human being is involved in the packaging industry, because when you buy something at, you know, Costco, you're now buying packaging. You have to Mm -hmm. be, uh, you're, uh, you're part of the supply chain with recycling, you know, so everyone's in the packaging industry. Certainly brand key is an integral part of the packaging industry. Mm with asset management and validation of verification. And so as part of this whole thing, given your perspective, kind of a global perspective that you've been able to, to get over your life 
if you could fix anything about packaging, one or two things, I mean, you don't have to overthink it, but if you could just fix anything and say, I just wish this was solved tomorrow, you woke up tomorrow and the, the headlines on the, like I have a packaging tips newsletter now. So the headline mm -hmm. on packaging tips said, you know, uh, per Lisa Curtin, this has now been solved, whatever it is. What would that you know, be? it's pretty simple. It's reduce waste. I mean, there's so much waste, you know, um, within uh, within the creation of of packaging. And I think that they're just there. There are ways we can design it better uh, to to reduce um, waste. And I think that there um, there are better ways that that we can um, we can print. You know, we can like some of the things that you talked about, you know, so many of the roles that are coming up because people are, um, uh, you know, tying, tying their brands to too tight of standards or their printers to too tight of standards. So, you know, I've, um, I have lean in my background as well. And yeah. I just, you know, and that is really all about eliminating waste and, you know, various different um, processes cycles, et cetera, and creating the most customer value. And I think, you know, by reducing waste, we certainly are creating an, a, a lot of customer value, especially those that are passionate about sustainability. And, and this generation that you're talking about, this diverse ge generation, they're going to be doing more around sustainability and diversity than any other generation that we set, we, we know of. So. No doubt, no doubt. Yeah. yeah, and and the the connection between all of that is, you know, when when you are efficient, when you have reduced your waste, when the whole supply chain is efficient, it's mm -hmm. sustainable, it's profitable, it's useful, it's beneficial. Like it's all mm -hmm. of these things. It's, yeah. That's great. Uh, that's great. Well, Lisa, this has been fantastic. I'll make sure to put the link uh, to Bellin's uh, story. That's a great story, yeah. and hopefully, some people can go support uh, what she's got going on. Uh, I'll put the brand key website so people can learn more awesome. about what you're doing at brand key. But if somebody wants to get more of Lisa and they have mm -hmm. specific questions for you, or they're like, I'm moving to Ireland, what should I do? <laughs> Whatever it is, right? What's the best as long way as they take me with them? Yes. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> what, what's the best way for someone to get in touch with you, Lisa? You know, um, either through my mobile number or okay. my, my email, um, LinkedIn, connect with me there. Okay. I think you've got all of those. Gotcha. Well, I'll go ahead and um, I'll just, I'll put your LinkedIn on the, um, out there and they can reach out yeah. to you that way. I won't, yeah. I won't put your mobile number out okay. quite yet. So just, <laughs> just to protect you. All um, right. Lisa, this has been great. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I learned a ton and I'm, I'm happy to know you and support what you all are doing at BrandKey. So hopefully awesome. people reach out, brands, packaging printers, packaging manufacturers can reach out to you and uh, start to get everyone collaborating and together and saving the planet. Yes, we're ready to help. <laughs>